You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show on ESPN in association with Betfred. Here we are then, gang. The regular season done and dusted. We know the 14 playoff teams. We figured there would be one or two twists and turns. We maybe didn't see Sunday Night Football happening. We'll get straight into that. All the big stories from the final week of the regular season with the brilliant Greg Brady. Greg Brady, here we are. We've made it into the postseason just i mean my god you and i were on radio last night <laughs> there were uh, yes. uh, the twists and turns we expected particularly from the nfc East, particularly from the cleveland browns as well it was turning into the the prototypical browns night they got it over the line we'll get into that we'll get into all the 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 the, the playoff permutations and and the lineup for super wildcard weekend i hope you've noted the new trademark name for for wildcard weekend is it's officially super but we've got to start with sunday night football Greg Brady, my God, the amount of vitriol that is being fired at Doug Peterson and the, and the Philadelphia Eagles, primarily from uh, New York Giants players, let alone New York Giants yeah. fans, is uh, something I've never seen before. And I'm guessing you are going to look at that and think they're entirely vindicated to be as fed up as they are. It's remarkable. Uh, e- even from ex Eagles, I-, I saw the uh, mm-hmm. I-, I saw the quote from Seth Joyner, uh, who was a great defensive player for Philadelphia. Here's the quote: "I've never been more ashamed to be associated with the Philadelphia Eagles than I am tonight." And uh, it- it's you know, given I think if if the other if the other game in that division doesn't play out the way it plays out, and yeah, it was mistake filled, as you mentioned, you and Will Gavin and I are on the radio for it for the last two and a half minutes, and there's a mistake here and a mistake there. And, um, you know, it, it just seemed to be such a struggle. It was like, who wants this less? It felt like, but you've got two teams competing and no matter what, how, you know, inadequate, uh, the division's been all year in terms of consistent football. I, I've often tweeted out the record that the NFC East has against everybody except themselves because there'd be, you know, two, three weekend stretches where you'd go and none of the four teams could beat anybody except each other. So Mm. it's been a long ride for the NFC East, but last night, just when we think we've got a, we've got a competitive game, we've got some potential drama. The Philadelphia Eagles are not going to roll over, uh, you know, and, and, and play dead. Uh, And they didn't for a good chunk of that game. And, uh, you know, I've never seen quite a reaction like it. We know teams have stripped down assets 
Um, and and there's been questions. Look, you can't have it both ways. You can't criticize the New York Jets for saying, what's wrong with the Jets? They're trying in this game. What You know, we fire Greg Williams. What, what's happening here? And and then they go and win two games that they just plain weren't supposed to late in the season. It costs them the number one overall draft pick. You can't yell at the Jets for not getting this right or the Miami Dolphins last year, Nat, in 2019, who seemed to have a, a distinct plan to finish near the bottom and try and draft, well, the quarterback they ended up drafting in Tua. They just got him fifth overall instead of first overall because of his injury circumstances. So you can't yell and scream at the Jets and then tell the Eagles – well, you're doing something terribly wrong, but I think there's a lot of red faces this morning, and I don't think this story's over this week. Mm. Doug Peterson has to explain this. Jalen Hurts, no doubt, will have a reaction for getting pulled. NBC is livid that they put a game on. They could have put a lot of other competitive games on that mm. meant something in the standings that had both teams trying, and they didn't get that in the fourth quarter last night with the fallout of Eagles. And I'll say one last thing. I know we're going to dig into it a lot. The guy I feel the worst for is Nate Sudfeld. You think he wants this attention? He doesn't. He, he you know, he, he wants to play. Everybody who's competitive in any industry, uh, you know, wants to play, wants to be seen, wants to be heard. And, uh, and, and he went in the game and tried to do his best under very trying circumstances. Almost no win circumstances last night. If Sudfeld wins the game, there's people that are almost going to be critical of it. Uh, because it, you know, while well, the Eagles were trying something and, and it blew up in their face. They protect their draft spot, and that's that's basically what Jacksonville's done all year. The Jets have yep, done all yep. year, but you can't do that at that particular point in time. You can't look like you're playing the game one way for 54 minutes and play it another way for the last six. You can't. Well, the timing is key, and the optics, a word that we I feel like we've used a lot over the last 12 months, Greg Brady, very, very fundamental as well, because they were down 17-14. Two minutes left to play in the third quarter. Peterson goes for it on fourth and four. And then, of course, Sudafel came in after that play. Now, it's it's worth pointing out, if you're putting the case for the Eagles' defense, because to, to kind of follow your point through, the Eagles looked at this and thought, well, our season's done. Why should we do the Giants a favor? We're going to get a better draft pick if we lose this. So we're not going to go and deliberately throw the game, but we might make it a little bit easier for Washington to get over the line. And Peterson was saying, actually, if you look at the, the number of starters, Slay and others out there, it's uh, not reasonable to say we threw the game. Also look at Jalen Hurts' numbers when he was pulled. He was hardly lighting the joint up, right? I kind of know he was being dynamic with his legs again and, of course, had the scores, but... It wasn't as if he was pulling a quarterback in red hot form here. Uh, Sudafeld comes in, and I'm just putting the case for the Eagles' defense. I'm not saying that I'm mm-hmm. buying this argument, but Sudafeld comes in and isn't any better than Jalen Hurts, but he's not much worse than Jalen Hurts either. There isn't a kind of a, a tangible regression because Hurts wasn't playing particularly well, other than of course adding that that dynamic ability, right? Uh, that, that that he has with his legs. So. I guess Peterson would argue, well, look, it's the end of the season. We don't have to do anybody a favor. He's been, and this is a point I've heard made by quite a few Philly fans on social media. And you're right, they're divided. They seem to be some embarrassed, some supporting, or at least uh, pushing the, the argument for, you've got to give these guys a shot. They've been on a roster all season long. Why not give them uh, a, you know, a day in the sun, a few snaps? Now, it might be fans, it might be far-fetched, but we made the very point on our radio show last night, Greg, that... For all these players who are bit part players, who are perennial backups, second and third stringers, week 17 gives quite a lot of them an opportunity to go out and play ball and make a name for themselves. And in many cases, secure a spot on a roster going forward. So you put all those things together. Look, I'm not buying that argument, but that is what the Philadelphia or the Peterson apologists uh, are suggesting. And I guess it comes down to the fact that it was badly handled you've seen as the point you've made jacksonville playing mike glennon over gardner Minshew. quite clearly that is going to be uh you know a a, a a a negative that is going to short stack them it's going to weaken them in terms of competitiveness but we roll with it we're okay with it uh you mentioned the miami fire sale they got rid of so many assets the front office play it's a coaching uh at least acquiescence, accepting the fact that that is happening because I'm going to be building for the future over the next few years. We were okay with it. So I think it's the, it's the execution here as opposed to the principle, isn't it? I think you nailed it. It's, it's the element of surprise. And remember, no one's going to buy the notion that, well, we want to, we want to give, you know, Sudafeld a look because we think he's the quarterback of their future. <laughs> right. But, but, but honestly, p- teams do that all the time. They mm-hmm. do. And, and if you're, if you're doing that, 
and you announced that earlier in the week and you say, this is what we want to do. We want to look at this younger quarterback or we want this player to play or this veteran player is, is a bit too banged up. But that's not what transpired last night. So you had the element of surprise. You had the whole, and, and maybe this gets more lost in the shuffle net if it's, you know, one of several one o'clock games, because we know we, we talked about it live on the air. We're like, it, you, you had that strange scenario where you had Miami Dolphins fans hoping the Pittsburgh Steelers would keep a lot of their starters in and play as many of their good players as possible. Then the Dolphins lose their game. The Steelers lose to the Browns and Miami's forced to hope that Jacksonville can find it, you know, find it somewhere to compete with the Indianapolis Colts. Look, you put yourself in a bad position. No one is going to feel, um, you know, tremendous empathy for the New York Giants or the Dallas Cowboys or whoever won that game. There's really, it's really tough to feel bad because you needed someone else to help you in the NFC East, especially given the division winner was seven and nine. But mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's more the plan that the Eagles laid out. Jim Schwartz, the defensive coordinator. I don't know if you saw the video or, or your listeners saw it earlier in the week, but he said, well, we've got a no hat rule. You just don't come into the link. And, and put on a division champion hat. So we're playing this hard. And you can't argue that the defense did that against Washington's offense. You can't. But there's, there's players in that locker room. I find it hard to believe Zach Ertz, a Super Bowl champion. Um, you know, one of only a few left on offense from the Eagles from their Super Bowl win in Minneapolis. Malik Jackson, who won a Super Bowl with that tremendous, tremendous Denver defense, uh, the last year they won out in San Francisco and Santa Clara when the Broncos, uh, beat Carolina in Peyton Manning's last ever game. I don't think those guys can go into the locker room and knowing that that was their last minute of football. In a weird 2020 year, think of everything, every single person on the planet has sacrificed, but NFL's, NFL players have made those sacrifices as well. And think about that being your last minute of football. I don't think those two players care, Jackson or, or Ertz, about the Eagles, uh, drafting sixth or drafting ninth. Of course, if it's your organization, you want what's best. And, and I don't doubt there's Jacksonville players excited that they'll be playing with Trevor Lawrence next year, or there's Jets players that will be excited that they might change direction. How could there not be the Chargers and Justin Herbert this year? Yes. You know, that's going to be, that's a, that's a human nature thing to want to be surrounded by, uh, other people who are as talented as you. But nonetheless, it's it's how the Eagles did it. It's not that they did it. It's the methodology and the explanation afterwards that just caught everybody by surprise. We just assumed Jalen Hurts was playing all 60 minutes. If the Eagles say earlier in the week he's not, then you've got a better sense of what's going on. But then again, it's big business, the NFL. We know that. Maybe the NFL and NBC say, not sure we want this game on Sunday night football. Maybe we want the Seahawks game against, uh, against or the Rams-Arizona game. Now, remember... On paper, that looks like a good game two weeks ago, and I know we'll get there with Kyler Murray against Jared Goff, and halfway through the first (laughs) quarter, you got neither guy on the field, and it turned into a bit of a farcical circus as it is uh, with the Rams coming out victorious. So I I, I think it's going to linger. I think the story is going to linger for several days in Philadelphia, um, but it doesn't change the, the, the practice that NFL teams are just going to do that and and once they're eliminated from playoff competition, what is there to gain other than a great draft pick? That's what the front offices think, anyway. Yeah, yeah, and and, and I understand, I understand that rationale. What have they got? Also, it's worth I think pointing out that Giants fans and look, I, I've always had a soft spot for the Giants organization, and you know, J Bell OC friends of the show, of course, uh, ex Giants. So I, I, I like him as a team. But you're a six and 10 team. Like, don't, you can't be too upset about the way this has gone down and that you haven't made the playoffs at, at six and 10. No, you can't. I mean, and, and of course, every game affected. I, I, I was, who wasn't thinking that if you were a Dolphins supporter or a Dolphins player, your playoffs go up in flames. You just give up 56 points to an arch rival in the Buffalo Bills. But let's face it, the ending of that Titans Texans game was so beneficial for you. You'd be drafting sixth in the draft instead of third if the Texans come back and win. So look, it, everybody needs somebody else at some point in time in this particular league to do them a favor, I, I, either with letting a player go that you're desirous to go grab or at least as far as the draft picks go. Look, Jacksonville's never going to forget how they felt when they watched the Jets win games in week 15 and week 16 because right. uh, it got them 
uh, Trevor Lawrence. And, and uh, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's any question. I know Brian Baldinger told us uh, yesterday yeah. on the radio show. He, I was a bit surprised at that. I know we were tight for time, but nonetheless, I, I just don't think there's a there's a scintilla of a chance that Jacksonville isn't drafting Trevor Lawrence. I don't think they look at Justin Fields uh, and think that's that's the route we're going to go. Um, now, if the Falcons or the Jets teams that might need to draft a quarterback might consider taking offers for that pick. But we know Jacksonville's mm-hmm. taking Trevor Lawrence. That's that's ironclad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I, th- I guess the uh, we we touched on it. The field's performance in the semifinal has uh, turned quite a few heads, and rightly so. He was lights out, and if he goes on and does that again against Alabama, maybe that will heighten the intensity of that question. But I can't see any other any other call that recency bias in in full effect. So Washington roll into the playoffs as the upshot of, of what went down, and at a home game as well, of course, being the NFC's divisional winner, they land that home field spot, and they're playing the Bucks. And we were uh, talking about this uh, as we were breaking down the early window games and watching uh, Tampa Bay wheeling out all their starters and, and going for the juggler because they knew they needed to win to lock down that fifth seed. And that is the softest landing spot uh, out of any of the possible ones for them going up against whoever won the East. And that stage, of course, they didn't know if it was going to be Dallas or, or the Giants or indeed Washington. Washington, I think we agree, is the, the toughest out of the three. Certainly the toughest matchup for the Bucks because of their defense and because of the pressure that defense can create on Brady, which we know is, uh, you know, simplistic terms has been the blueprint historically to rattling and unsettling Brady, those great Giants team with OC, of course, uh, the, the prototype, mm-hmm. the blueprint print of, of that and out of those three teams the Giants the Cowboys and Washington that clearly the front seven that is most capable of of doing that but the way that this Bucks offense is rolling now Greg and the fact that this Washington offense much as we love the Alex Smith story and they're certainly not completely anemic they are going to realistically struggle against an altogether solid Bucks defense is there any argument you can put for Washington causing an upset I can't see it. I, I do think we could get a closer game. I know the, uh, you know, the spread is one of the, you know, one of the larger ones out there to look and say it's seven and a half points. Of course, the Bears are bigger underdogs, uh, going down to New Orleans and, and playing, uh, what's a pretty rested New Orleans Saints core, uh, mm. all told. But yeah, I, I, I think Chase Young, it's going to be fun to watch him, uh, you know, take on the Tampa Bay offensive line and, and try and get at Tom Brady, obviously. Uh, who isn't, uh, you know, is probably the least mobile quarterback coming into the playoffs. So mm. it's it's going to be fun to watch Washington do what they do. And, and I don't doubt that people have loved the Alex Smith story. I mean, who saw this coming? There are three players. We got to remember Kyle Allen on the roster as well. Um, right. Kyle Allen, Dwayne Haskins and Alex Smith. And you're just thinking Smith's going to hold a clipboard potentially might get in a game or two in mop up duty for what's going to be a lousy team. And that's a team that's probably going to be at the bottom of the NFC standings. They were picked almost. I I can't think of a playoff team where people were like, I don't know, Buffalo, maybe it's their year. Maybe it's not Cleveland. Maybe it's their year to get it back in after an 18 year absence. Maybe it's not, but none of us had Washington as a playoff team. And and we, and we didn't know at the time, here's the irony. We could have had Washington that as a seven and nine team, but we just thought Dallas and Philadelphia will be teams that will be 11 and five and 10 and six. So it won't mm-hmm. matter if Washington seven or nine or not. So I, I don't see it coming um, that Washington can, can, uh, you know, I was going to say go to Tampa. They don't have to, but they're playing a team with four more wins than they have. And, and I also think nobody, you know, the gods of the NFL probably want this very badly. And that's a, uh, a green Bay Packers, Tampa Bay Buccaneers game. They want an Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady playoff game. Uh, Fox mm-hmm. wants that. Think about how many times we've looked at the playoff schedule on days like this in early January and thought, boy, that Green Bay, New England Super Bowl, maybe this is the year. They both have bye weeks. They're both, and it's been Tom Brady, believe it or not, um, that's led up to, you know, he has fulfilled his part of the bargain. How many times have the Patriots? made the Super Bowl five times, five mm. times since Green Bay has last been in. Tom Brady's been one of the Super Bowl quarterbacks representing the AFC. So we've been denied. I- I'm trying to think of a matchup where two of the all-time greats, we saw one Montana-Marino matchup. We saw plenty of Marino-Kelly matchups. We saw Montana and Aikman. We saw Aikman and Favre. Brady Rogers, and we've seen Rogers and Breeze. Brady Rogers seems like the one match uh, matchup as-, as far as quarterback go, and 
I don't know. You know, both guys over the age of 36. Uh, you know, we don't know how many more years Tom Brady's going to play. There's no talk of retirement. Remember, there was at this time last year right. as New England was was about to crash out uh, in their first playoff game. So I, uh, I I'm, you know, Washington's story is neat. Alex Smith's story is neat. I think we all want to see Tampa go up to Lambeau Field and uh, and and have a fascinating game with the Buccaneers and the Packers, two former NFC Central division rivals. I think we want that. And I think we'll get it as well. I I, I think it's a reasonably clear cut for for the Bucks there. But I but I think fair play to Washington. Looking at it, I think they deserved it. You know, like I say, the Giants at six and ten. Come on, did you really really feel that uh, it, even in a, such a weak division as the East, you deserve that playoff spot? The Cowboys are baffling, and we'll save that for a rainy day. Some of the the play calls and decisions from uh, Mike McCarthy there, the Dalton throw as well, which was extraordinary because it was like a, a last chance heave last chance saloon kind of throw into traffic he didn't need to do that then he thought they got the ball back it was a crazy finish to that game but in the end it was all uh, fundamentally irrelevant because philly did what they did peterson did what he did do you think and we're recording this on monday we know adam mm-hmm. gaze is gone we expect doug marone to go as well the reports coming out before that game greg were that peterson will survive he's one of those coaches very much on the line here do you think what went down last night might have any bearing on his future i don't think it changes anything i i I do think doug peterson will be on one of the shortest leashes imaginable uh and that's not really based on contract next year for 2021 i think there's a few uh, a few nfl coaches that um you know saved their skin that might have been on the hot seat this year. I think Matt Nagy was on the hot seat. Uh well the Bears ended up making the playoffs after a disastrous uh midseason run. I you know I, I I just I think a few things. One, if you're in contract right now because of COVID, because of of teams, you know, teams are still making money without fans in the stands, or at least right, you know, a, a, a good chunk of fans in the stands. But where they're hurting is obviously you know, fans spending in the stadium, merchandise, parking, um, you know, the, the teams are, are, are not, again, no one's going to cry for NFL owners, but I think you need a really good reason to get rid of a head coach after right. 2020. And, and, and there were guys that were hanging on for dear life during the season. Dan Quinn relieved of his duties in Atlanta. Matt Patricia relieved of his duties in Detroit. We mentioned Gase. We mentioned, you know, the potential for Doug Marone. So I think there's, there's a lot of coaches that, you're going to want to see more of Cliff Kingsbury is going to be okay in Arizona. I really believe that Doug Peterson's going to be fine in Philadelphia. Uh, and, and obviously there's a, there's a good chunk of, is it working with Vic Fangio in Denver? I, you know, you can certainly make the case that it's a struggle there, but to pay some of these guys out and, and let's not even get into John Gruden who really struggled. I thought with some coaching decisions and calls down the, down the line, is it seven years left? They're not, you know, the Davis family is not paying John Gruden seven years of salary not to coach. So uh, maybe we don't quite see the circumstances with with, uh, with NFL coaches and and the um, the carousel that we see often on Black Monday quite as significant as we've seen in other years in particular. Um, Kyle Shanahan safe as a kitten in San Francisco. He made the Super Bowl last year. There's some capital uh, built up there. So yeah, the, the, there's. I, I think you're going to see a quieter. Uh, sense and I think Doug Peterson will be part of that quiet but mm. if we can uh, all get our lives back to normal by fall of 2021 and fans are in the stands again and Eagles fans are allowed to boo Doug Peterson <laughs> on uh, you know on principle when they don't like his decisions and when Carson Wentz is with another organization um, they got to make a good deal there to push Carson Wentz out he's done as an Eagle I don't think there's any question about that uh, but of his own volition. Um, but Doug Peterson's going to be on one of the shorter leashes as far as coaches go in 2021. But I'm sure he'll be back. I love that idea of uh, next Christmas Eagles fans throwing snowballs at Doug Peterson uh, if he's still <laughs> if he's still there and they're rolling to a, a seven and nine season. Who's going to be their quarterback as well is, is is a big question. Is it Jalen Hurts? It's something we'll definitely get into uh, in the off season. Let's move on. Speaking uh, of quarterback decisions, to the Rams who uh, overcame the Cardinals in a game as you've pointed out, Greg. That was maybe not as we expected it would be. Of course, with uh, John Wolford and Chris Strebler, the, the respected backups for the. Rams. Rams and the cards seeing a lot of action. There was no golf, of course, because of his thumb. And that is the big question rolling into the wild card. Sorry, the super wild card mm-hmm. weekend. Uh, the Rams on the road to the Hawks, of course, on Saturday. That's the middle game on Saturday. And I'm reading uh, a few interesting editorials this morning, Greg, that I'm not sure about the fitness of Cup. Is Wolford uh, of, um, of golf? Is Wolford going to get the start? 
again. And if he does, is that altogether a bad thing as far as the Rams are concerned? Rams fans seem a little bit divided here. Now, I know Goff has been frustrating this season. He's been uh, fairly profligate with the ball, which has wound up uh, Sean McVay in particular. That's something you, you, you can count on Goff typically as being a very capable protector of the ball. You and I, as we've discussed many times, big Goff fans we definitely Mm. see the upside with him maybe more than others but it's a very real question and i guess either way you cut it whether it's golf whether it's wolford going into seattle uh, the rams defense is balling but their offense isn't it's going to be a very difficult proposition whoever's under center yeah, I think that's true. I, I, I get why Seattle is, uh, you know, a, a notable favorite. Four and a half is, is what I've seen so far. But I think, I think that grows, you know, significantly if Jared Goff is ruled out, uh, later in the week. Now, the Rams probably want to dress him no matter what, pl- probably want to make it seem, uh, like he can go. Remember all the, all the theatrics that, that often New England would go to. I think New England went with that a few years ago in the playoffs when Tom Brady had an injured hand, a very injured, uh, hand, uh, right. one that looked like he, he sliced open. They were very secretive, uh, with him practicing with gloves on. So, uh, you know, Goff needed this past week off. It's a shame for the Rams. They don't have yet another week, uh, but it's not a conventional season. And obviously they didn't play well enough to win the division or come close to getting a, a bye, but, yeah, Cooper Cup they need in the lineup. I'd mention Michael Brockers as well, who's had a great season at defensive end for the Rams. Um, you know, he's he's been out because of COVID-19. So they need to get him back uh, on the field as well. But familiarity really breeds contempt. I I, I love this game. I, I know there's some people saying, ah, come on, Seahawks and Rams again. I can't get enough of, of the two teams playing each other. I think it's great. And if anything, it was the four. I thought every game in the NFC West this year was going to be fantastic. And if anything, uh, the Cardinals inconsistency and the 49ers, uh, you know, let us all down by not giving us great games in the NFC West. I thought top to bottom, it was the best division. So I have no problem with, uh, with, you know, with, with the Rams and Seahawks. You got a lot of players that have played in the Super Bowl. You got a lot of players in this game that have won playoff games. But yeah, I, I don't think the Rams can be competitive in this game. I don't think they can, you know, switch to a, a really conservative offense and run the ball like crazy with Daryl Henderson and, and Cam Akers in this particular game. They will, I don't think they'll have Cam Akers. Um, or, uh, will they have Cam Akers? I don't know. I don't know whether he's yeah. healthy or not to, uh, to play. He played in, in the game yesterday. So yeah, why wouldn't he be? Uh, 21 carries. 34 yards, but he hasn't been terribly effective. Yeah, they thought it was going to be a scratch yesterday. Then it was a late start, wasn't he? And it didn't look effective. So I think he's, I think it's fair to say he's, he's banged up on, on Arizona, Greg, mm. lot of criticism coming Cliff Kingsbury's way. Now he, by all accounts is safe, right? I think he's, he's one of those coaches that is going to get, get the bullet. But when we looked at this new era of Kingsbury, and I know that there are really cosmetic, superficial elements to this that have accentuated the, the perspective, most notably probably the, the, uh, British Denali's draft room <laughs> that he was, yeah. that we were doing that, weren't we? It was, you know, I mean, we're all I'm, still, I'm, we're all still envious of it. We, we really are, are. Let's face I, it. I haven't lost my, I've, I have dreams about being yeah. in that draft room. <laughs> but I think that, I think that does, uh, definitely fan the flames of, you know, progressive, new school, cutting edge at, at the air raid offense. He's been paired together with Kyler Murray. This is going to be an offense that, blows up the NFL and it hasn't lived up to that at all. And there have been some pretty damning editorials about the fact that the offensive success they've had has been despite Kingsbury, not because of him and, and Kyler Murray improvising and freewheeling because he's able to, because he's that kind of player, uh, but being hindered really by what is around him. It's not how they expected this to go. So that's going to be a really interesting development, missing the playoffs going into next season. He is going to be a head coach under a lot of pressure, isn't he? Oh, he is. Uh, uh, yeah. As I said, I think it's him and Doug Peterson, uh, not just in the NFC, but throughout the entire NFL uh, and, and that, that are under the most pressure going into next year. And I, mm. I, I would say, I, I think they got into some shootouts. Um, they obviously scored a ton more points than they did last year when Kyler Murray was a rookie. But Murray has a little bit of that scenario that, that I notice sometimes with Deshaun Watson, where you just think you can do too much on your own at times and you shouldn't. Um, because he's got a reliable running game in Kenyon Drake. Uh, and, and I thought, you know, from time to time, Chase Edmonds gave them good yardage and, and good, you know, good games, good halves, good series all year long. But a superstar, obviously, in DeAndre Hopkins, an absolute gift. 
from, uh, you know, from Bill O'Brien to land under the Christmas tree last year, or at least a little later than that, closer to the spring. But uh, Arizona does need to do a little bit more. And I know so much of it has been, there's going to be that great debate. We were talking about it yesterday on the, on the Sunday show with Miami and, and differing between their coordination, Brian, what Brian Flores wants, what the offensive coordinator wants and what Tua is capable of. I think Kyler Murray is going to, you know, grow into this league, but it's, it's, you know, it's living proof that even as a rookie quarterback and especially one that uses his feet, we're all looking for somebody to make the transition from college to pro like Russell Wilson did with you knowing when to run, knowing what to do by design, knowing when to improvise, knowing when not to make the the wrong play at the wrong time. And, and, and if anything yesterday, I think I'd look and I'd say, there must be somewhere in Arizona where there's going to be a bit of an internal look see at, at, at why they why they deemed him ready to play yesterday. I, I, you know, you watched him at the end of that San Francisco game and that ankle injury, and you thought, like, you know, he won't be ready a week from now. Uh, and they had an extra day as well, given that was a Saturday game. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I remember thinking of it really early yesterday morning, thinking, well, the last time we saw Kyler Murray, we didn't know if he was going to get carted off on a stretcher or not, and he just looked morose and devastated and defeated on the sideline as that game finished up against San Francisco. Yes, they're losing and and really blowing an opportunity uh, to control their own destiny to go to the po- the postseason. They needed Chicago to lose yesterday to get some help, obviously. But nonetheless, um, yeah, I, I think Kingsbury will be under some significant heat. It's not a, it's again, I think it's a tremendous, uh, tremendously difficult division to accomplish things in. And we've seen that so far, just 13 wins in 32 games since Cliff Kingsbury is there. And when you get the number one overall pick, you've got to ascend. So there's big pressure on Arizona to make sure they're a 10, 11 win team next year and not an eight, not a seven or eight win team. Okay. You mentioned the, the bears game it, blown away in the end. I think it's fair to say by, by the Packers who were short stacked, particularly on the line, of course, back to Yari, not there. And there was, I suppose, initial cause for concern that that bears front seven might, uh, wreak havoc as a result, but Aaron Rodgers took care of business once again. He surely locked the MVP down as a result of that. Deion, uh, Devontae Adams had his 18 touchdown catch of the season. In the end, it was plain sailing, 35-16, but it didn't matter as far as the Bears are concerned because uh, they make it to the playoffs. Nevertheless, they are heading to New Orleans, as you mentioned earlier on, probably the biggest dog in uh, the early, early lines so far. Green Bay lock in the number one seed with a comprehensive win and, of course, get the week off as a result. And everything seems to be coming together on both sides of the ball for the Packers. Looking at that NFC playoff setup then, New Orleans uh, as the number two seed on paper, the closest to, to Green Bay. Do you think it is stacked out as it should? The, the Obviously, the uh, outlier of the NFC East notwithstanding. You look at the seedings there. Do you think that is pretty much as the power ranking should be in the NFC? I think Tampa actually has the best team to beat Green Bay. Uh, mm. I, I do think they are set up the most for uh, an aerial shootout there. Obviously, they've... You know, they've accentuated their running game with the ad of Leonard Fournette. Uh, I think he's been a better success there than many of us wondered whether he would be or not through either his own desire to be uh, excellent. And let's face it, Antonio Brown has added another threat to that offense. Uh, it's It's been a quiet story. I know uh, he got a lot of a lot of looks yesterday. Tom Brady was trying to help him get a bonus, as a matter of fact. So he threw him a couple of <laughs> shovel passes in the fourth quarter. Um, but look, you can, you know, we can debate, uh, the character and the, uh, and the ethics and the morals of Antonio Brown all we want. And, and it's a valid argument. It's an important conversation. Yet Tom Brady sees something in him because this is the second go around. Uh, and Tom Brady did the same different scenario with Josh Gordon over and over again in New England. He's like, no, let's get him back. Let's get him back. So there's something there with Tampa Bay. I, I think they're the biggest threat to Green Bay. And remember, you know, there have been stumbles at times. We, at, at a lot of times, the Green Bay Packers have had that first round by, gone on and, and blitzed their opponent the second week, but ended up not getting things done either in the uh, NFC title game or they have been at times a one and done team. Colin Kaepernick and the Niners knocked them off at Lambeau Field in, in wild, on wild card weekend. Eli Manning and the Giants, the year they went and had their second Super Bowl run against uh, New England, uh, shocked a 15 and one Packers team. They utterly outplayed them and Eli Manning outplayed Aaron Rodgers in that game. So 
I think there's a lot of pressure on Rodgers. Um, and I think Tampa Bay, I, I think they're going to get their best game uh, in that in that weekend where uh, Tampa Bay probably advances. And hopefully we get a New Orleans Seattle semifinal as well. I just I, I see the room for some of the lower seeds, Nat, to make some some movement in the AFC. I don't think I don't think the Colts, I don't think the Bills beating the Colts is necessarily a sure thing. I get why they're favored. Um, Browns, can they play with the Steelers? Why not, given how Pittsburgh's played? I don't count, uh, you know, what happened in Week 17 with the resting of their starters. And even Ravens-Titans Ravens, Ravens feels like the biggest toss-up of all. But I just think it's uh, it's almost chalk in the NFC this coming weekend. I, I get why the Seahawks, the Buccaneers, and the Saints are all notably favored. And we're probably going to get Buccaneers-Packers and Saints-Seahawks. Uh, and Saints um, But I think Tampa's Green Bay's biggest threat because of how they're built. Yeah, I think so too. And I think the concerns about the offense, and you referenced Brady's lack of mobility. I think that has been, again, in, in a, and we've talked about it on the show in, a, in an era when you have freewheeling movement, motion, dual threat quarterbacks. I think there is at times an unfair criticism. And this is, applies to the Colts as well. I think there are often similar issues with Rivers and I think particularly Rivers' lack of deep ball as well that the when those offices aren't flowing that is particularly acute the concern is 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 is, is very very amplified as as a result but the bucks have been cruising now for weeks they're timing it absolutely right in that respect and i think in terms of yeah the sucker punch team there it, it is very much them and i've been uh, supporting them all, all season long, even through the rough patches, as I was for many weeks with the Steelers, even wrote an editorial piece for the Times on how ridiculous it is to write off Mike Tomlin and write off this Steelers side mm. when they were getting so much criticism and then jumped off the bandwagon just as they started to, <laughs> to arrest the slide and get things moving again. With regards to what happened last night, it's actually you say that, that the Browns clearly have a shot, but I would be concerned if I was a Cleveland fan, given how close that ended up being. And I know you could argue, well, with so much on the line, it was inevitable that Cleveland were going to do something like that and run it right to the wire. But when you were dealing with Mason Rudolph, primarily, obviously Josh Dobbs got some snaps as well. Uh, a, Pittsburgh defense that was short stacked that was still creating a lot of pressure uh, on uh, Baker Mayfield and, and that Browns line that had Jedrick Wills back of course who didn't play against the Jets four sacks uh, on Mayfield the fact that game ran close the fact this is going to be a rerun with a, a refreshed Big Ben and a, a Steelers that are going to be re-up defensively I can't see a Browns upset. I mean, I know they, they, they're capable of running the table for a little while, but even in this game, they were completely streaky and going from efficient, more than efficient offensively to anonymous offensively. And this maddening, uh, enigmatic Cleveland offense, I, I think is going to be really, really difficult to back with any kind of conviction going into this one, Greg. I do. Uh, I, yeah, I think this is Pittsburgh's game. I think it was a, a benefit to let Cleveland, you know, have their, you know, again, Pittsburgh didn't roll over in the game. You could tell Mason Rudolph and that group really wanted to win. They're a two point mm-hmm. conversion away from probably forcing overtime. They're very close to getting the onside kick and stressing out Browns fans, uh, even more. We'd have the Dolphins in the playoffs this morning and the Browns out, uh, had Pittsburgh had that, had the last minute go their way, but, yeah, the matchup is is not a great one for the Browns, and and I think they celebrated with such euphoria. And I get it; I I wouldn't expect them to temper that uh, somewhat. That gets debated all the time in North American sports. Is this team over celebrating? Are they? They look at baseball celebrations where there's you know you win the division or win a wild card, clinch a wild card, and there's champagne celebrations. They don't really do that in the NFL. But I'd I'd have understood if the Browns had uh, had let a little more loose than you know the the stalwarts, right? The Packers, the Seahawks, the uh, the, the, the aforementioned Pittsburgh Steelers. So, See, where I've got an issue on that on over celebration is when a defense uh, on a goal line stand and say it's second and goal makes the stop and celebrates like like they won the game. <laughs> That's where I'm going to draw the line. Yeah, you got two more. Yeah, you got two more stops to make uh, at a <laughs> right. certain point in time. But it happens. So, it does a lot. The uh, yeah, I, I, I you know I'm not going to say that the Browns will just be happy to be there, but I've seen. I think we've all seen it too often where. That team needs to sort of, you know, exhale. They're thrilled that they're there. Their fan base is thrilled that they're there. And it's, again, 
you know, you can't even describe the, sh- the, the shame and the, and, and the awful tragedy that COVID-19 is for so many more reasons than sport. But wouldn't that be something to have Browns fans invade Pittsburgh and have that stadium remarkably divided? Cause this is kind of old hat to the Steelers. And yet the very first Super Bowl I attended was at Ford Field in Detroit, Steelers and Seahawks. And it was a home game for Pittsburgh. That's, that was an unbelievable scenario with that's the Matt Hasselback Seahawks with Mike Holmgren still coaching right. and Big Ben's probably in his second full season. Um, but I've, I, you, the, the yellow and gold towels, it, it had to be about 85%. So Pittsburgh fans, uh, really love to, to come out and support, but this would have been a special thing for Browns fans. Obviously, you got the first Buffalo Bills home playoff game in, in 25 years, but you've got the first Browns playoff game period in 18 years. So it'd be a remarkable, remarkable day, uh, you know, next Saturday and obviously Sunday, but we're not going to get to see it. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I like the Steelers in the game. I hope the Browns can keep it close. And, and I think it's, it's going to be trial by fire for Baker Mayfield. Um, I, I liked so much of what he did this season and the added maturity and the fact that nothing seemed to snowball for the Browns this year. They seemed to take things in stride, had a little bit of a stumble halfway through the season, right? They had, a, they had seven points against the Raiders or Steelers in a 38 seven blowout. They barely beat the Bengals the next week. They get six points at home against Las Vegas and they fall to five and three. But they righted the ship. They won four straight and basically solidified. And still, so they're sitting there at nine and three and not even a lock for the playoffs at that particular point. Again, they got in by very narrow circumstances. But I think we're all fascinated to see how the Browns fare with with so many guys playing their first ever playoff game. And certainly in that uniform, they are. It, clearly, Baker has, has progressed. And, and I guess a lot, speaking of recency bias, will depend on how they play and how he plays in particular against Pittsburgh, if they do go down, whether they go down swinging or whether he has a bad Baker day, but let's assume that he doesn't. Let's assume that he performs at the very least uh, as he has been for much of this season. Huge credit to him because he was absolutely a quarterback playing for his, for his gig going into this season and, and a vilified figure because of his early era pro career off the field shenanigans and the moxie and everything else. But Credit to Kevin Stavansky as well, who has been brought in in particular to make the most use of this abundance of talent that Freddie Kitchens had, but couldn't get them to gel. Is Stefanski the front runner in your mind for coach of the year, Greg? I, I, I would give it to Sean McDermott. I think the job he's done in Buffalo, uh, I know that there's, you know, winds change in that division, obviously with New England uh, taking a massive step back. The Jets are still miles away. From being competitive and, and Miami may have overachieved. I know there's going to be an argument for Brian Flores, but for me, it's Sean McDermott. Um, I'm trying to find an NFC coach that I'd look at. You can look at the job that Bruce Arians did and said, that's great. Improving Tampa. Oftentimes the coach of the year is, is the guy that improves his club by the most in wins and losses, but they were bound to improve, uh, making a change from Jameis Winston to Tom Brady, who just takes care of the football better, adding Rob Gronkowski to a stable of, uh, of weapons making a couple upgrades on the defensive side. So, you know, there's a lot of guys. It, 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 it feels it would be un, uncool to say Pete Carroll deserves some consideration. I think he's done it. Mm. I think he's done a magical job in Seattle. I think we're underrating him as one, one of the all-time great NFL coaches yeah. Uh, yeah. because he's had a couple stops before with the Jets in New England before he went to USC and revolutionized and, and re- really brought pride back to that university. Uh, and they've, they've stumbled on harder times since then. They're no longer a perennial power or a, a national championship contender, not since Pete Carroll left. So uh, to me, it's, it's Sean McDermott, uh, but not by much. I'm not going to, not, not going to diminish the job Stefanski's done there. And, uh, and, and I think you're going to have real stability in that division for a long time because clearly Steelers with Tomlin, uh, Baltimore with John Harbaugh, those might be behind Belichick. Those might be the two longest tenures in the NFL. So it, there's a real sense of, of stability when we're going to have all these other teams and it's the usual teams looking to find yeah. that. That magic elixir. The Jets are looking for the right coach. The Lions are always looking for the right coach. So there's a bunch of teams that are going to be on the hunt. Now Atlanta, um, you've got some real stability, I think, now in that division with at least three of the head coaches there. Yeah, well, let's talk about Flores and Miami. Ultimately, as you alluded to, falling falling short. And it, there was always going to be one good team 
that wasn't going to make the cut in, in the AFC, uh, of course, because of the, the way the cards fell and all those teams clustered on, on 10 and 5. And it was Miami that, that fell short because everyone else around them took care of business. So the Colts uh, get the seventh seed and they will play the Bills. That's the first game of Super Wildcard uh, weekend. Incidentally, the Cleveland-Pittsburgh game, the final game of the weekend, the Sunday night game. The Dolphins will be disappointed in terms of the manner that they went out, Greg. And inevitably, a lot of criticism on Tua's desk this morning. We were covering the game and concentrating on it in particular. And you were uh, focusing on it very much so. And Tua clearly didn't play well. But the play calling from Chan Gailey was questionable at best. And I think it also outlined or underlined, I should say, a problem that we figured was going to be a factor when it came to the crunch and and really all season long, it's been a, a concern for Miami that there isn't enough talent offensively here. Yes, you've got Mike Gesicki stepping up. Of course, Devontae Parker is a, a serious receiver, but they are definitely, when you look at their competitors, look at the teams around them that were vying for a, a, a playoff spot, they are short stacked there. And when you combine that with a, a play caller that is conservative, that is run first and a rookie quarterback that is at the first, first stages of his career and hasn't had uh, a, a Justin Herbert style uh, explosive introduction to the NFL. It's perhaps no surprise that it played out as it did last night. No, I, yeah, I, I, I was worried about that matchup. And I, I know that we talked about Miami's schedule a fair bit um, on, on this show and, and elsewhere because it just, it just, I didn't love the look of it. And, and really at the start of the year, you were more worried about the New England Patriots, uh, mm-hmm. being down the stretch. Their last four games, home against the Chiefs and Patriots on the road against the Raiders and Bills. And remember, they barely, they barely snuck by the Raiders. They really needed some, uh, some Raiders miscues to win that particular game and some magic, uh, from Fitz magic. Uh, we still don't know with that pass where he was face masked, how he actually completed it. So instead <laughs> of, uh, Honestly, instead of a 15-yard personal foul penalty, they end up getting you know about 45, 50 yards through the air. So they had their moments. They really did. They're coming from a long way away. And from a team, I, I th- their progression, remember, would be similar to, say, the New York Jets doing what, what Miami did this year, the Jets doing next year. And I don't think we think the Jets are ready at all, uh, even with... Uh, Justin Fields or whoever they take uh, to be a 10 and six team. So it's big progress for the Dolphins. I think they're really limited with offensive weapons. I don't think a shootout uh, with Josh Allen and, and that high octane Bills offense is ideal under any circumstance. Um, Miami just does not have does not have the arsenal uh, to compete with uh, with a Buffalo or a Kansas City. Look how they tried to hang with the Chiefs and didn't do a bad job. But a lot of that was making Patrick Holmes turn the ball over uh, at a key time that got them back in that game. And as well, there you know some defensive stops. So there are ways away, but there's progress there in Miami. What has to be concerning is yeah, is 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 this by design to limit what Tua can do in his rookie year? Or are they worried he can't do it, period? I'd like to think it's more the former than the latter, but you're right that that's week 17 often, it often lingers. It often lingers into the offseason for a few weeks and maybe even a few months uh, where you, you get no stops at all from the defense. There just aren't any plays by any of their playmakers when you give up 56 points. I know Buffalo had some short fields. I know that. But nonetheless, uh, it, it left a really bitter taste going into the offseason. But I, I, I don't think Dolphins fans, they're not devastated. They're, they're not in the prime of, you know, somebody's career. This isn't like a Dan Marino team with Don Shula where they missed the playoffs. And they did that a couple of times on the last week of the regular season where you say, wow, there's another opportunity for Marino to go in the playoffs and try and go after what he wants so badly. Uh, and they missed it. If anything, it's, it's more a new beginning than the door getting slammed shut on, on something that was promising. I completely agree with that. And it's interesting and, and perhaps at the same time, paradoxically, not surprising that there is uh, so much overreaction to Tua's performance last night, because for all of the reasons we've just said, it is perhaps no surprise that we're watching a young quarterback who at a crossroads in his early career and, and, and took the wrong route last night. That doesn't mean that he's going to be a bust. And some people are calling him a bust, which is ridiculously short-sighted. When, when you consider as well, 
he was injured. He was out of the game, out of any mm-hmm. football for a long time. It's been a COVID uh, season and, and he is uh, at the very early stages of, of his career. That I don't think we've seen nearly enough of what he's capable of. I think for the positive sides for Dolphins fans, absolutely that he has demonstrated that he is healthy and he's going to remain healthy in specifically the injury that he had. There was question about whether if he was hit the first time, what's going to happen? Is he going to be able to play? Is he a, is he a crock? And he's shown in the body of work that he's had that he's absolutely not. And this is a very, very strong defense. It's an offense with the draft capital they've got that they can really, really build around. And you mentioned Buffalo and the progression they've made. And the, uh, We had this conversation, Greg, I remember this vividly at the end of last year, because it was the show I think we were talking about uh, whether Eli Manning was a Hall of Famer or not. And we <laughs> talked about the the obvious holes in the Buffalo Bills and they went out and, and sorted that out. It was a similar issue. If you look at the Bills team last year, very well coached, very disciplined defensively, much more defined by its defense than anything else. A promising young quarterback that needs to take the next step and he doesn't have enough around him. And they went out and got digs and and, and we've seen what's happened then. I'm not saying that two is going to have pound for pound the same progression and trajectory that Josh Allen uh, has had this year and the Bills have had offensively this year. But if they get him a weapon even close to that, it's going to be, I think, a very different story with yeah, a year. Yeah, yeah, you go make that, make the big spend, make the big splash, spend the first round draft pick. Right? Yeah. And Buffalo did that at the right time for Diggs. Right. Remember when they didn't do it at the right time and Rex Ryan wanted to draft Sammy Watkins and that was the wrong right. time. Their quarterbacks were Kyle Orton and EJ Manuel. They had mm-hmm. no offensive line. They had no running game. Uh, that's not when you go out and, and you spend draft, uh, you know, you, you spend draft capital. Uh, I want to say they, they utilize two first round picks to go up and, and just to trade up to go get Watkins. And yeah. there was nobody that could properly throw the ball to him. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and it was a, it was a short lived experiment, really. Sammy Watkins only played what better half of two and a half seasons there before right. the Rams traded for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I think the future is bright is what we're saying, uh, for Miami. So let's just recap then. The, the, the wildcard weekend, Colts and Bills is the first game. Rams, Hawks, Bucks, uh, Washington wraps up the Saturday. Then on Sunday, we've got, uh, Chicago, New Orleans in the middle, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, as we talked about at the end. But of course, Baltimore, Tennessee, the early game on Sunday. And I think the game of the wildcard round. I think it is too. It, it, it has a lot to it. And, uh, uh, you know, Ryan Tannehill going up against, uh, Lamar Jackson. Jackson had such an, you know, n- not, a, not the MVP season he had last year, but so flawless this year. Uh, really, you know, at, at, at the end of the day, I, I was so impressed by how Lamar Jackson started to play down the stretch, ends up going over a thousand yards rushing. And speaking of rushing, you know, honestly, y- y- we can't let this go without noting Derrick Henry. Going over the 2000 yard mark. Honestly, it's something that I never thought we would see it again. I mm. never thought we'd see a running back. I remember being there when Barry Sanders uh, went over 2000 and the last game of the year against the Bill Parcells coach, New York Jets. They had Keyshawn Johnson on that team as a rookie. <laughs> right. And Barry went over the 2000 yard mark and was carried off the field by his offensive line. Um, the fact, Derek Henry, I know they, they kept feeding him and feeding him and feeding him yesterday because he needed. Uh, the yardage to get there, but what a remarkable story, uh, to go where he's gone. And, you know, he was sort of just a guy early days as a, as a running back. Um, and, you know, started to show some promise near the end of that 2018 season. Uh, and now at 26, uh, it's just remarkable. Um, you know, we, we're getting to the point where we're going to have to talk about Derrick Henry as an all time great running back because. Yeah, yeah. I, and I don't know what the longevity will be like. And I don't know. It's a little like, you know, pitchers in baseball where you're never going to see a 300 game winner again. You, you won't, but my heavens, active career yards. Uh, Derrick Henry is climbing the list. He's already 11th, uh, on the list. So he's got guys to chase down, right? The shady McCoys and the Adrian Petersons and the, and even the, the Marshawn Lynch's before he gets to Frank Gore, who's still running, but no doubt, uh, he's, he's doing it with, with exponential growth every year. And there's every opportunity that he's going to get there. I brilliantly said, and, and it's something that is understandable, but again, frustrating that the MVP discussion is always, uh, almost always anyway, a, a quarterback. And I, cause I think Henry has maybe suffered from a brilliant season from Aaron Rodgers. And I wonder if Rodgers had had a, a less impressive year and was maybe a little bit closer in the, in the final reckoning, whether this might have been one of those years that, that a, a non-quarterback got the gig. I mean, if you're a running back in this era, as you say, that racks up 2,000 yards. And it's, it's 
the productivity, of course, it's the style, of course, but it is hence the, the, the terminology, the impact on this team. And it is short sighted and uh, one dimensional to say that he is the Titans offense, but the offense cannot function without him. You know, Tannehill does what he does with the play action. They've got AJ Brown uh, and others around, and it's a very effective balance, but that is entirely based on the style of runner that Henry is getting stronger, incidentally, as the season rolls on as well. He seems to do that every year, which is uh, ominous for the Ravens. I wonder what the over-under is on total running yardage in in this game, because didn't Baltimore rack up over 400 yesterday, right? I mean, this is going to be, is this going to be the the fastest playoff game? Gary clip. I mean, it's one thing to carry the ball and have, you know, basically three quarters of your plays on the ground uh, Mm. to keep things safe, including Lamar Jackson running. But yeah, it it's uh, Tennessee's run defense uh, is, is going to be, you know, it's going to be, it's going to have to be remarkably ready. Uh, I don't, again, most people, it's not the sexiest quarterback matchup. And I say that even though Lamar Jackson's in the game, but it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's something I think a lot of people are going to look forward to. And Tennessee proved they weren't just a, a one year wonder with, uh, you know, catching some fire at the end of 2019 and obviously making some noise in the playoffs by dumping out New England. I think it, a lot of buzz about Baltimore getting it right at the right time going into week 17, let alone what we saw from them yesterday, albeit, of course, against a, a, a pretty indifferent Bengals side, and that's being kind. Baltimore, the team that no one wants to face in the playoffs, right? Tennessee definitely have that moniker as well. Looking at this, looking at the teams that uh, I guess have the, the biggest shot of taking down the Chiefs, because you mentioned in the NFC, you feel the Bucks maybe have the best shot at taking down the Packers. What about in the AFC is, is the team most likely to take the chiefs down in this game? Do you think? No, I think it's the Buffalo bills. Yeah. I do. I, I think they're playing so well right now. I think they're playing better than the Kansas city chiefs over the last five weeks on a neutral field. Uh, if it wasn't, if that game wasn't at arrowhead, uh, I'd, I'd really, really struggle picking the Kansas city chiefs as a, as a, as a notable favorite. I wouldn't want to give any points away. Uh, that's for sure. I, I think it's a, it's a coin flip game. If we end up with chiefs and bills, if there's no significant absences or injuries the rest of the way. Uh, and I thought that was important for Buffalo to have that, that comfort food at home. I know there's not going to be many fans at, at orchard park. Uh, just 6,700 for, for Buffalo's first home playoff game in 25 years. But the fact they'll get to bring the Steelers there or, or some variation thereof, um, to play at, at, uh, they'd obviously get the Browns if the Browns end up winning, uh, the, 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 the Steelers, uh, Browns game. Mm-hmm. So they're either going to get Pittsburgh or Cleveland at their stadium. And, uh, it could be remarkable, remarkable football. But I think Buffalo is, uh, it's just going to be that buy. They, they really, Thir- to be 13 and three, Nat, and not get a bye, it's strange times. I pointed this out yesterday that when there were five teams that made the playoffs instead of six, every division winner got a bye. And you just had the two wild, you had no Saturday football and you had the two wild card games. Of course, right. it's more fun to go from two to four to six wild cards. But what you've done in the process is you've really cheapened what it means to be that second seed. And I'm sure the New Orleans Saints are thinking it. I'm sure the Buffalo Bills are thinking it. There have been teams that have been nine and seven or 10 and six that have got a week off, a valuable week off at this time of year, you know, COVID season or no COVID season. And the Bills, uh, the one thing I thought of is if they end up winning that particular game and get Pittsburgh, Buffalo plays Saturday afternoon at one o'clock. Pittsburgh plays Sunday night at eight o'clock. That's a big variation of rest. And the Steelers, I know it's not far to travel. You could basically take a bus if you wanted to from uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to Buffalo, New York. But it's it, that's a big difference, almost 48 full hours between the Bills and the Steelers game. So Buffalo should be the more well-rested team if we get that matchup in the divisional playoff weekend. I, we're obviously going to be on air Sunday, but Saturday with three uh, playoff games uh, kicking off UK time uh, at six o'clock, obviously earlier for you across the pond. What is the Brady household on Saturday Super Wildcard weekend? Are you basically in the Lazy Boy? You have the mini uh, mini fridge with beer stocked up or food there. Just uh, you know, bathroom breaks and that is it. That's the only thing that takes you out of the chair. Just talk us I got, through. I'll have to get some form of exercise in. You're just like mm-hmm. me, Nat. You know, you care about uh, the body is the temple. I know. <laughs> I, you know. I know from spending time with you in Minneapolis. Uh, that that was very true. You know, you come into the hotel gym, I come out. You come right. in, I, 
uh, and maybe you stay a bit longer than me. You're younger by a couple of years. So I, I look and I you say, you do like sort of 20 kilometer runs in minus 10 degrees from what I remember. True. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember, I remember the, uh, the, 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 the pharmacy was only about a mile and a half away. And I remember on mm. Saturday taking an Uber and it's the shortest Uber ride I've ever taken. <laughs> uh, and I, I felt a little bit guilty about it. And then the Sunday morning, I go, I go to Prince's house, right? I go to Paisley Park. Yeah. Well, other talk sport personnel are ice fishing like that. <laughs> you know, honestly, the gridiron guys, Will Gavin, they're out there risking life and limb to, to go ice fishing. And you were uh, at Paisley I, Park. I remember being, I went to Paisley Park on Monday with the Disown boys, one of whom had unbelievable food poisoning. I spent the entire cab ride sitting in the front seat, just thousand yards <laughs> stare, stare out, out of the window. I'm not sure how much of that <laughs> Paisley Park. He, he was in tears because of how his stomach was. I was just because of my love for Prince. I, uh, <laughs> I was quite emotional. Uh, I was, I was able to get it together before, uh, before the Super Bowl kickoff uh, in Minneapolis. But I, I, you know, I always think about that on Sundays. We roll through the one o'clock games and there's nothing like that last, you know, we're usually on air together for it. That last 45 minutes of mm. all those games climaxing at once. And I often find I need to walk away. I probably come to the four o'clock games, nine o'clock UK games. And I probably I probably take a quarter and a half off just yeah. to just to pace yourself. You have to do that. I'm almost revisiting those, you know, around the house, making sure every, nobody's missed me terribly. And usually they have not <laughs> making sure there's a plan for supper. You know, like, so there's a, there's a bit to do. There's a bit to do before you uh, try and experience 10 straight hours of football. Not 22 years old anymore. I can't pull that off. (laughs) Well, listen, enjoy. I know you will. I know our listeners will. Uh, Thanks for teeing them up so well. We're going to have a a preview show dropping later in the week where we'll break down each of those games in a bit more detail. But, uh, in terms of, uh, breaking down what went down week 17, nobody better than Greg Brady. Always a pleasure, but look after yourself and see you soon. Can't wait. Thanks, Nat. Brilliant stuff from Greg. Uh, he will be back very, very soon. So will we, of course, previewing the Super. Don't forget the Super Wildcard Weekend later on this week. Our preview show dropping Edge Rush. Hey, Edge Rush still rolling as well. Another Acker landed by me and Propo producer Ollie. Uh, so the streak is back on and uh, we will be bringing more of that as well later on this week. So two more pods dropping for you ahead of Wildcard Weekend. We will see you then. Bye for now. Podcast Network.